We are the Illennials Podcast. We're back again for uh, episode 18. This is me and, uh, uh, me and Seth. How you doing, Seth? I'm doing pretty good. And what's your name? I'm Smith. All right. For those of you who don't know, I, I'm one half of this podcast crew. I'm here with my uh, my brother, friend, yes. confidant. Senior executive, producer, host, Seth. Fuck, I gave you titles this time, didn't I? You did. Shit. You gave me a lot. Confidant. I mean, that's what you are, right? Would you... I think that our 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 Discord messages kind of like confirm that we are that you are we are confidants. I know all of his hemorrhoids by name. Well, that's weird. That's how much of a confidant I am. Okay. Not that I wanted this information, but it was presented to me, and I can't you know take it back. All of my hemorrhoids, so. which I have named after the ghosts from Pac Man. Um. <laughs> he actually has. <laughs> uh, dude, it's been it's been a hell of a week, actually, hasn't it? Um, when it comes to like, yeah, it's been wild. The world, we're all gonna die. But this, I mean, oh, go ahead. At this point, like, isn't every week just kind of fucking insane? Oh man, it's like we live in like some kind of like time dilation uh, effect where like it's it feels like Trump's been president for a thousand years. Oh my god, yes, twenty eighteen has been the slowest year of my entire life. I know, I know, right? It's wild as shit. Um, like this week, we're all gonna die because John Bolton has taken his place in the White House. Which, oh yeah, that's gonna be fun. Which is fucking uh, fantastic, uh, and we also we're gonna start we're starting the trade war. Oh yes, I'm so excited for trade war 2018, dude. We're, we're not. I've, I've got my trade war bracket on my wall right now, <laughs> um, and I'm I'm just making my picks as I go. The it, the seating is really weird for this tournament, but I think I'm gonna get it down this time. Dude, we are fucking going to to lose a trade war and two real wars. It's gonna be fucking wild. Oh, probably at the same time. It's gonna be great. Oh, for sure. It's uh, it's gonna be fucking great. Um, so yeah, John Bolton is a guy, uh, who maybe our listeners don't know about. Maybe you do. He is uh, like a Bush era neocon who used to be ambassador to the UN, and this is actually kind of badass. He was he was ambassador to the UN, and he would like constantly make speeches about how the UN was useless and shouldn't exist, which is yeah. Pretty wild. It's a pretty wild thing to do. And uh, he basically is the guy who's like saying we should go ahead and do a nuclear strike on North Korea before they can do anything. And also Iran's working with North Korea, so we should hit them too. So what's going to happen is uh, John Bolton's going to get us in two more wars we can lose. Any relation to Michael Bolton, you think? Uh, I would hope not. You know what? But yeah, this, okay. this guy is... Uh... <sighs> Yeah, it, it, it's one of those things. It's like I, it's like I keep saying. It's like at this point, is it even surprising that this guy's in the White House? Not really. Like none of these headlines even surprise me anymore. Well, it is a little surprising. You know why that is? Why? Because Trump has voiced uh, privately opposition to having John Bolton join the White House before in the past. And do you know why he didn't want him on? Why? Because he said his mustache looks bad. His mustache. I got, I haven't. I've haven't actually seen John Bolton. Let me look him up real quick. I got to see what his uh mustache looks like hey that's not a not a bad mustache that's a that's an old dude you know rectangle mustache that happens dude john bolton's mustache looks like he he meditated each individual hair into existence just forced yeah, it, it out does, it doesn't look like it all grew together but yeah it's uh it's there so also this guy's not what i was expecting him to look like yeah i know right so, god damn what a destructive old idiot also awesome when i tweeted about john bolton's mustache i was responded to by a twitter account 
nicknamed John Bolton's Mustache. That's what I was about. I was like, what did a, a Twitter account called John Bolton's Mustache reply? The handle is Warstash69, and they tweet in all caps about how the world's going to burn. So go follow Warstash69 for good updates on, on how we're doing. Um, yeah, shout out to War Mustache 69 <laughs> Love them. <laughs> oh, dude. And then also, uh, uh, I guess today, right? Like, today is the day that they're going to have the, the Stormy Daniels interview on 60 Minutes or something? When do we see Trump's dick? Dude, the fucking... Did you see that tweet from her lawyer when he tweeted a picture of a CD and it was like, believe it or some shit? And I'm like... No. He's like, it's like a, a CD stored in a safe. And I'm like, oh shit. I mean... Wouldn't it be incredible to move from the first black president to the first president whose dick we have all seen? That's true. In one presidency? That is That'd true. That'd be crazy. We only ever heard descriptions of, of LBJ's dick, but this time we might actually yes. see it. From LBJ, by the way. <laughs> he, didn't, he, he didn't let third parties release anything. He was like, I am going to go on the record about my dick yeah. today. It's huge, by the way. It's huge. Yeah, it's just, I mean, he's, he was like six foot eight. That's true. Like, he is actually a giant. That's true. And hey, you know, Trump is six foot three, so who knows what's going on there, right? Is Trump actually six feet? Yeah, dude. He's, he's like a pretty tall dude. He's like taller than me. Wow. I actually didn't know that. Which is, well, yeah, you're not that tall, though. What? You're like 5'11". What the fuck is this shit? Yeah. Six foot what? two. What are you talking about? You are not six foot two. Yes, dude. This is not an argument for a podcast, <laughs> but just listeners, just so you know, I'm 100% right. <laughs> you could, you, well, if you could, if you could ever find the, the spectral path that leads you to Marcus Barkley, you could ask him about this because he is six foot three and we are, we are right there. And also, if you are more than six foot three, do not talk to Marcus Barkley because he, he will hate you instinctively. Yes. One interesting characteristic about our art director, uh, Marcus Barkley, the riddle enigma puzzle man, he hates people who are taller than him. It doesn't matter how, if they're a good person. He doesn't even have to meet them. If he sees a person and can tell they're taller than him, he just will not like them at all. It's so he goes to an NBA game, and he's just like, I don't like any of this. <laughs> this, this. This is not for me. Don't they have, like, a... Don't they, okay, my, most of my, my knowledge of the NBA comes from watching Space Jam. Don't they have, mm-hmm. like, some short guys they need for certain things? They keep him around. Yeah, uh, the lowest the lowest you'll see in the NBA is five nine. That's pretty low. It's usually the lowest you'll see is like five ten, and then they go all the way up to like seven feet, of course. So it's just like short, relatively speaking. Yeah, relatively, they're still pretty relatively tall people. Like five five ten is probably what average for yeah. an American male. Yeah, probably somewhere in there. Fun fact: twenty um, percent of the world's population that is seven feet or above plays in the nba that's wait what yes one fifth of all people who are above seven feet play in the nba that's fucking insane though yes there's not a lot of people above seven feet but one fifth of them are in the nba jesus that's an interesting fact imagine being in the other four fifths that are not athletically skilled enough to be in the nba that would kind of suck yeah there's there's this big meme on the internet of there's this guy who's like six foot ten and he just he gives people business cards whenever they ask him how tall he is, and he was like, "Yes, I'm six foot ten. No, I don't play basketball. Yes, the weather's nice up here. <laughs> all that stuff, uh, just to get it out of the way all at once." Have you ever wondered, like, how many incredible people uh, 
they'll be great at, the, at certain things don't get discovered because they live in like Mongolia. Yeah, that's a uh, that's one thing. And then yeah, not only that, it also happens because I'm really big into esports as well, and I always wonder like games like League of Legends and Counter Strike don't have that problem because there's like a big ranking system and the tournaments are very big and have a lot of money behind them. But then there's other smaller, like, especially like fighting games. Like there's probably people out there who. If you give them a couple of years, actually, like being able to go on tournament circuit might be the best player in the world, but they don't have the means to do it, and they don't live in an area where tournaments happen, so they'll just never even get to expose their talent. Yeah, it's weird. It's like when everyone says, "Like, oh, this is the, this this guy is the greatest at this thing." I'm like, "But is he though? Is he?" Yeah, and there's same thing with basketball. There's actually like uh, the underground scene, like people who just play in parks and pick up games. Like, from what I've heard, I've never been to one, but from what I've heard there's some guys in there who are just as good as some NBA players, but because of their, like, they have, you know, a little bit of a criminal record, or they just weren't good enough in school and weren't able to get recruiters to come see them, they just don't get to play in the NBA, even though they're just as good. Wait, so, wait, hold on. A criminal record can disqualify you from being in the NBA? Well, it, it makes it harder for you to get, um, like, college scholarships, and most only a handful of players will ever go straight from high school to um, NBA. It's not that common, so you'll have to do the college thing, and it just having a criminal record makes it a little bit harder for you to get into college and get those scholarships. So, Damn, dude. Yeah. The discrimination against criminals will never end. Nope. And when I say criminals, of course, I mean that there are plenty of people who we, we, we call criminals who should not be called criminals. Exactly. They didn't do anything actually right. that wrong. Yeah, like narcotics dealers and consumers and, you know, petty theft and stuff, like stuff that goes on your record forever for no reason. Oh, well, by the way, did you hear that we are going to start executing uh, drug dealers in America? Executing them? Yes. Like corporal punishment? Yeah. I did not hear this. When, when did this bombshell get dropped and what rock was I under? I don't know, man. It was like something that Trump was saying about how they're going to pass legislation that's just going to let them like, seek the death penalty of a specifically opioid uh, uh, sellers. Um, so, like, they... Because, you know, we have a big crisis in America right now with the opioid epidemic. Uh, there are tons of people dying every day from overdoses um, because life is hopeless and they don't have anything to... to, to uh, work for because everything is shit and so they are like want to solve this not by you know providing better aid or treatment or spending money on social programs that could help these people uh, get back on their feet you know jobs programs to give them something to actually do and earn money with no 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 instead we're just going to kill the people who are giving them the drugs yeah exactly um, but also let's all remember that Donald Trump said that there was going to be a wall between us and Mexico, and Mexico was going to pay for it. So let's take everything he says with a couple of grains of salt. Well, what's funny is Trump has like a friendship with the president of the Philippines uh, named Duterte, I believe his name Wait, is. Wait, isn't that guy crazy? He's fucking insane, dude. Like, he literally rides around on a motorcycle and shoots drug dealers in the street. Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Or at least he's claimed to. But they do, they do like, uh, they do like kill drug dealers over in the Philippines, right? And it's fucking insane over there right now, with this dude in charge. And he loves Trump, and Trump loves him. They're just two like, like faux tough guys. And Trump wants to emulate his drug policy, which is fucking awful. It's you know, because you know, killing people is not going to solve the problem. They're still gonna, the drugs are still gonna be sold one way or the other. Like 
because yeah the people aren't the problem you know yeah and i'm like hey when are we gonna fucking if you're gonna execute drug dealers how about you drag the fucking ceos these companies who push these drugs on the doctors and therefore patients and when are you gonna kill them yeah right the folks who actually fucking deserve it yeah it doesn't make any sense in the the end of the day but now that is a lot of what uh our president says and I, do, I just, I just want to say to people out there who are, who are curious about what the proper um, remedy is for the opioid epidemic and drug problems in general, I would tell you to go look at uh, how um, Portugal handles this situation, where yes. they decriminalized all drug use back in the uh, a couple of years ago. And so now... Um, it's not legal, but it is decriminalized. So you won't be you won't be sent to jail for having drugs. And if it's certain kind of drug or over a certain amount, like especially like dangerous or powerful drug, you get a small fine, and you have to do time like you know talking to a, a, a drug rehabilitation specialist. But that's it. There's no other penalties for for uh, having drugs in the, in Portugal. Yeah, and of course you know legalization, decriminalization, whatever you want to call it. That's clearly what we need here in America, but for some reason, the powers that be don't see it that way. That's because America has like a very Puritan uh, upbringing. That's our whole thing. You know, we were, we were founded by religious zealots, and we have not managed to shed that over time. Even though we do, we're very hypocritical about that, aren't we? I'd say we do a lot of, I mean, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of the shit we do is not from a Puritanical upbringing. Yeah, like, um, look at our obsession with violence, you know? Yeah. Low violence. Also, just so everybody knows, Portugal is currently governed by a coalition uh, government that is made up of uh, socialists, um, anarchists, and communists, and they exert enough pressure to 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 you know control the right wing side of the country. So, just saying, you know, maybe we have the better uh, ideas on our side of things. Yeah, you got a point there. But speaking of good ideas, better ideas, opinions in general, there's something we got to talk about. Okay. A musical artist that me and you both love a whole lot has caught under fire uh, over the past couple of days for stuff he did. Uh, Killer Mike, a rapper from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, one half of Run the Jewels, my favorite rap group, him and LP from New York. Um, and Killer Mike has always been uh, pro-gun, you know, have guns, gun ownership and all that. Which, once again, neither of us are necessarily against in general, but he did make what I consider to be the huge mistake of lending his time to NRA TV and doing an interview with them about why we should continue to have guns in this country. And it's, I don't know, I think it's poor judgment on Killer Mike's part to give his to give his time to NRA TV, which, whether you like guns or not, the NRA is a fucked up organization, and it definitely needs to be um, dealt with, in my opinion. Yeah, I had not heard about this. What what did he go on there and do, basically? I mean, yeah, I mean, nothing he said was super insane. I mean, okay, I'll, I'll say this. As much as I love Killer Mike, and I don't want to speak ill of his name, he is kind of crazy. He's um he's also admitted to, he didn't say he's an anti-vaxxer, but he says he's willing to hear out their arguments for anti-vaxxing, which I also think is a little stupid, and... Of course, he goes on he goes on NRA TV and is just like talking about gun ownership, and he doesn't necessarily bring up the necessary points that I think should be brought up. You know, the ones that we bring up about, you know, how the poor need to mobilize themselves and stuff. And I didn't listen to the whole interview, so maybe I am mischaracterizing some of it. 
So I do need to. I'll, I'll go through and listen to the whole thing and give a full opinion. But right now, for me, for me, the big thing is just like don't give your time to the NRA. And no matter how much you love guns, just don't give a give to the NRA because the NRA is not a great place. And I, I just it it kind of irked me when I heard that Killer Mike was a uh, gave them a full interview about this. Yeah, um, like you 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 can be a fan of guns. Like I said, I'm I'm fine with us having guns uh, of a certain sophistication to hunt. You know. Pest animals. Because if we don't kill white-tailed deer, they will cause ecological uh, disaster, and that's not. They will be president in twenty twenty four. And here's the thing: people always ask me, like, why is that? I'm like, it's not because the deer, like, it's not because of any good reason. It's because we killed all the wolves and other animals that preyed on deer, and they have no natural predators anymore. So we have to fulfill that job. So somebody's got to do it, you know. Uh, yes. But the NRA is an organization that is is pro gun. Yes. Okay. Cool. That some people that some people on both sides of the political spectrum are fine with that. But they also are explicitly a right wing organization. They are they have no ties to any kind of left leaning uh, uh, situation at all. So giving them your time, giving them your uh, lending your voice to them is a direct is directly supporting right wing uh, propaganda. Yes, and I mean, and I'm sure in his mind, Killer Mike doesn't see it that way because Killer Mike overall isn't a isn't a right winger, but I just think that it was poor judgment on his part, and he's gonna have to face some some fallout or a little bit of fallout from this decision, and hopefully he can bounce back. Um, yeah, if you want to talk about guns, I think, and you you're you're in support of them, and you want to like talk about uh, uh, the role they should have in a in society without being a, a right winger. Um, I can recommend the uh, John Brown uh, Gun Club is a good uh, left-wing uh, organization, which is pro-gun, talking about you know how they should be a part of our of our life, but also are uh, are explicitly anti uh, uh, right-wing, and also Redneck Revolt down here uh, in the South is also a really good organization, which is an offshoot of John Brown Gun Club, which is you know community defense that kind of stuff but it's also explicitly uh, a left-wing organization not liberal i mean left-wing nice nice I, I didn't know about either of those so i'll have to check them out yeah those are those are good places to look so i mean yeah man here's the thing killer mike though is i listen to like basically every rtj uh album at this point mm-hmm. and i mean he does talk in some songs about you know owning guns uh explicitly for you know, uh, protection against the government. and He does, and like I said, that's why, I, mean, I know for a fact he isn't right-wing, he has, a, there's a lot of, there's a really good section on the song uh, Lie, Cheat, Steal off of RTJ2, where he, he basically talks about a lot of stuff we talk about, where he's like, you know, these people you see on TV, these, these millionaires, these rich guys, they're only part of the problem. There's a man behind them, behind them, behind them, who really pulls all the strings, all these big billionaires. Mm-hmm. You know, and he, and so he, he does understand there's a lot, there's class struggle there's power struggles and they all revolve around the idea of capitalism um i just think he had a misjudgment with uh placing this he could have done this interview on something like npr or something like that and done a lot better even though i'm still not a huge fan of npr it would have been a much smarter decision than nra tv yeah the issue isn't what he said or believes in particular to me it's who he chose to to express it through yeah and i mean sure that he wouldn't be able to get his message out there uh through his other organizations but at the same time you're not going, like, you know, talking to the NRA TV people is not really going out to that big of an audience anyways, and also they're not ever going to be on your side in anything else but this one issue. 
Yeah. Which, speaking of that, so yeah, go ahead. actually, I had an interesting interaction this week uh, on Twitter when I was just like shit posting uh, on a, a tweet about uh, uh, Keith Ellison. In case people don't know, Keith mm-hmm. Ellison's a really cool uh, congressman from up north who's uh, very uh, leftist in his beliefs. Um, and someone like uh, started having we had an interaction with this person who. I guess I would, uh, after talking to them for a while, because I actually engaged them, uh, I discovered that they were kind of like a libertarian, I guess, was their their political belief. Um, mm-hmm. And we argued a lot for a while about stuff. Um, and I know people are like, arguing on Twitter is lame, don't do it. But I was curious, you know, I was curious about what this person uh, actually thought. And we came to, the, we came to actually a common ground we had together, which was... Um, Ending foreign wars and dismantling the uh, military industrial complex, and this libertarian person agreed with me on that. And so, I think that there are some issues that we can co- that we can actually cooperate with people across across the political spectrum on. And I feel that rather than cutting these people out of our uh, political uh, discussions entirely, we should try and incorporate them in some way because. You can use that one issue as a wedge to, uh, you know, start leveraging yourself into the other beliefs they have. You know, explore their other opinions. Because if they can agree that foreign wars are bad, the military neutral complex is bad, then we have a, a, a an opening, you know, to get into other beliefs they might they might hold. So that was an interesting uh, interaction to have with a person. Yeah, it's true, and that's actually the one silver lining I'm trying to take out of this whole Killer Mike situation is that. You know, even though I don't like the NRA and I don't think that it was the best choice, maybe him being on there will reach out to a couple of these crazy right-wingers and maybe they'll look more into who he is and see more of his beliefs or just open their eyes a little bit more and maybe they'll, you know, start to come around to a different way of thinking about not only gun ownership and why we should why gun ownership is okay, but other political issues as well. So, maybe there is a silver lining to that whole situation. Yeah. And like we said before this on the show, we're not like we're not in favor of the current gun ownership policies there are in America, we don't we yeah. don't like how unrestricted it is. It should be it should be restricted down to certain types of firearms, especially certain speeds at which they can fire. Um, because Jesus Christ, man, who needs a goddamn gun that can shoot uh, uh, as many times as you can pull the trigger? You know, nobody needs that. Yes, we are we are both in favor of bringing back muskets as the main form of muskets and flintlock pistols and cannons as the main form of defense in your home. I mean, hey, if you, if you, I'll be down with that, right? Like, you get one shot at musket, buddy, you better make it count. You better fucking yeah. do it. Um, so, yeah, I want to talk about something this week. I got, I got, I got a right. thing I want to talk about with you. All right, hit me uh, up. I was reading an article from the Washington Post, uh, Who Suck? So I'm not gonna oh, talk about that. fancy pants. I read the Washington Post. Well, in case you didn't catch what I said after that, they suck, so I'm not going to talk about what their article was about. It was like oh, Okay, I, I didn't hear you. I was too busy mocking yeah, you. Yeah, It led me to an article uh, from 2016 uh, from Gawker. Remember Gawker? Remember them? Oh, yeah. The people that were uh, destroyed by uh, famous gay billionaire Peter Thiel. Through, through, through. Through the means of Hulk Hogan. What a fucking insane alliance that was. What? That, it's like, that's a story that you, you're going to tell 10 years, well, if we're here 10 years from now, and it's just going to sound insane. And luckily there's a whole documentary about it people can check out, but it's uh, it's wild. How crazy is it that we let this happen? 
you know, that we that we let a billionaire uh, destroy um, a journalistic enterprise because he didn't like what they said. Yeah, that pretty much that's that violates the First Amendment. I guess it's not government, but fuck it. I miss Gawker. I'll say it. People are always like, "Oh, Gawker sucked," and it did in a lot of ways. But fuck it, I miss Gawker. Yeah, and we're about to find out why. Yeah, luckily a lot of their sites are still around. Yeah, but yeah, Gawker itself is rest in peace. So uh, this article is called uh, um, "Documents: How a Major Company Bombards Employees with Right Wing Propaganda" by uh, by Hamilton Nolan. Um, and let's just get right into it. Uh, tens of thousands of workers in America's third largest hardware chain are, tra- are trained in more than customer service. They are trained in the conservative trickle-down economic zealotry that animates our billionaire boss. Menards is the largest privately owned home improvement chain in America. Its owner is John Menard Jr., famous for keeping a tight rein on the smallest details of his company's operations. His net worth is more than $10 billion makes him the richest man in Wisconsin and one of the richest 50 people in America. Menard Jr. holds strong right-wing political beliefs. He donated $1.5 million to a group backing Wisconsin Republican Governor Scott Walker during Walker's contentious battles against the state's organized labor forces. After Menard was forced to pay a $1.7 million fine in the 1990s for illegal dumping of hazardous waste, one state official says Menard told him he, quote, just didn't believe in environmental regulations, quote, Wow. Yeah, I just... I don't believe in it. <laughs> it's a fairy tale. Sorry. Wait, what? I had to pay money because something bad that I did? Fuck you, I don't believe in bad things anymore. Yeah, bad things don't happen, and they definitely don't happen with my involvement. Yeah. So, peace out. Um, so more recently, a Menard spokesperson announced that the company did not plan to open a new store until Obama was no longer president. Wow. <laughs> I wonder what it was about Obama. What could it have been? Hmm. Interesting. Because it certainly wasn't his economic policies. They couldn't have been that. It was different. Because, no. listen, they, they are pretty identical to every other president we've had for 70 years. So it's had to be something else. I wonder what it could have been. Hmm. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll ponder that one and come back next week. <laughs> uh, no one suffers the brunt of John Menard Jr.'s conservative beliefs more, more directly than his own employees. Menard's virulently anti-union policies stand out even in an industry full of anti-union corporations. The company was recently sanctioned by the National Labor Relations Board for violating labor laws after it was revealed that the company had required managers to sign contracts saying they would forfeit more than half of their pay if employees formed a union on their watch. Wow. Half of their pay? Mm -hmm. What the fuck? Remember the episode of The Office when uh, Michael Scott is going to help the warehouse guys unionize? And then just, like Jan comes down there and is like, we'll fire you and everyone else here. Yeah, we'll get rid of all of you. And we all just and laughed. It's like, yeah, it's like, oh, I mean, not that that part was especially funny. The episode is pretty funny, but it's just like, man, this sucks. It's like, we just accepted it, though. You know, like, no one ever said, like, oh, this this, this is like, this is something that sucked up in real life. We were like, oh, that's just how it works, I guess. Yeah. Because we were all just unwoke, smooth brains, uh, but Menards is not satisfied with a merely with merely having a non-union workforce. Documents provided to us by Menards employees show that the company conducts what can only be described as a systematic indoctrination into conservative political beliefs under the guise of its in-house training program. 
The IHT is an online training course for Menards employees. It is supposed to be sort of a continuing job education program that expands and updates the skills of Menard workers by training them to work in different departments throughout the store, for example. The program is not mandatory, but participation in it is strongly encouraged by the company. Dude, I have fucking been there, right? Strongly encouraged shit means mandatory. Oh, yeah. It, it means you're fucking doing this shit whether you like it or not. Yes, that's code for you have to do this. Um, but... You know, you don't, but you do. Yeah. Uh, Menards, Menards closely tracks how many employees are using the program and incentivizes employees and managers to keep that number high. Employees are offered small rewards for competing sections, and there are even competitions between stores to see who can get the highest participation level. Below is a screenshot from a company newsletter sent out in April, the entire purpose of which is to share how many employees are using the IHT in each store and region and to encourage more of them to do so. Dude, I can see how this immediately would be used as like, dude, we got to keep our numbers high. Everybody's got to participate. Everyone get in on this because if you don't, well, it'll come up in your fucking uh, performance review. Yeah, exactly. That's just, that's the same shit. Or that's the kind of shit that uh, employers do all the time. And it says right here that the average participation in April 2016 was 45.58%, which is hell yeah to that 55 who didn't. Yeah. Um, so here's the part where it gets interesting. What makes Menard's employee training program unique is not at all limited to job skills. In fact, it includes multiple sections dedicated to extolling the virtues of free market capitalism, bemoaning taxes, and instructing employees on how to become advocates of political beliefs that mirror those of the boss who will not allow them to unionize. Um, so yeah, it's... Um, what? That's, that's surprising. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Never, never would have guessed that one. No, never. Fucking, of course, no no company would ever use their, their control over your, your time at work to instill any kind of political beliefs in you. That would be insane. Um, yeah. So it begins, uh, they talk about this little section here about, like, it just has, like, a bunch of dumb uh, basic civics lessons kind of stuff. But then uh, yeah. it begins in Core Three, American Job Security, where Menard's right-wing beliefs really begin to shine. It begins the cartoonish, fear-mongering chart about our national debt, in which the low debt path to prosperity is in a welcoming green hue, while the cliff-like current path is in a foreboding red. The <laughs> the very first paragraph lets workers know that they have know that if they have any employment problems, they should blame not John Menard Jr., but the federal government. And this is a section directly from this uh, this IHT program. Um, what effect does Washington have on job security? In truth, everything. Unemployment numbers can be tied to economic policies. These policies are the rules and regulations that we are that we covered in the first course. These policies can often make it more difficult for businesses to create jobs and force an increase in unemployment or underemployment. Therefore, job security, your personal job security for your self-governing will of independence and to make your way in the world, is inevitably tied to American civil policy. Of course. Having established that regulation is the enemy, the course then launches into a primer on Adam Smith and then an extended lionization of Andrew Jackson, who, despite his imperialist massacres of Native Americans to steal their land, was loved by the common people, especially when he paid off our national debt. Yes, of course. Dude. Go on. Fuck Andrew Jackson. <laughs> Let's just go ahead and say that. Yeah. Fuck that dude. And this is kind of why I miss Gawker a little bit, is they just would say shit like this. They would not, like, they weren't, like, a normal journalism outfit which tries to, like, be, you know, objective. They would be like, no, fuck that. Like, 
He was an imperialist who killed Native Americans to steal their land. There's no sugarcoating in that act. Yeah, there's I, there's no such thing as objective journalism. No. How did objective journalism is Wikipedia? It's just plain facts that are put in front of you. That's what objective journalism would be. If you were putting any personal flair into it, you're not being objective. Um. The material continues to pound away at the free market gospel for page after page. Um, quote, a government dedicated to individual liberties is one that understands that private property is to be protected, not taxed or taken, quote, it says. Quote, government does have a role to play, but we must remember that taxes always limit freedom. Quote. Taxes always limit freedom. Taxes don't do anything to help you at all. Mm-mm, no. No. Taxes are only a hindrance, and the person who is making these questions doesn't have to pay taxes. So, there, you know, there's, fuck them. Yeah, there's, there's no such thing as social programs that could possibly, you know, help poor people or, or health care that could, that, could, that could make their lives easier. No, no, that doesn't exist. Um, let's see here. Uh, it, it, it cites a lot of stuff. Um cap-and-trade rules, limiting air pollution, uh, bailouts of private companies, uh, and then it reprints in full an essay by Herman Cain entitled, Economics and the Basis of Prosperity. If there's one thing I want to read, is an essay by Herman Cain. <laughs> Let me tell you that. Dude, who even remembers Herman Cain at this point? All I remember was he was a pizza guy. Was he? Right? Yeah, he owned part of... um. He, he owned, like, more than 50% of, like, Don Corleone pizza or something. Jesus Christ. And he had to, he had to sell it off whenever he ran for which, for office. Which, by the way, that's crazy because th- these days, our, our current president doesn't sell off anything. He gets, gets to do whatever he wants and be president. Yeah, he has no so, no need to... Herman Cain sold off his shares in that company to try to be president, which he didn't even get past the primaries. <laughs> I mean, how much the world changed in only four years? I know, right? Um, so yeah, and the the last of these four training courses, Action, instructs employees on how to contact elected representatives and write letters to newspapers to spread the free market gospel they have just absorbed. Not to generalize, but this seems like the sort of content more suited to a multi-billionaire business owner than his working class employees. We asked Menard for comment on these sections of the IHT and what involvement John Menard Jr. may have had with them. They have not replied. We will update the story if they do. If even half of Bernard's employees participate in the IHT program, that is more than 20,000 workers who are being forcefully fed right-wing economic doctrines by their billionaire employer. At the end of the fourth course, the document drives home the need for business-friendly individualism. Quote, As a citizen of the United States of America, you should personify your own self-governing will and protect your opportunity for free enterprise by educating yourselves on the topics, past, current, and future, and then making your voice and vote heard. Quote, as long as your voice is not asking for a union. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Whatever you do, don't ask us to help you in any way possible, or or help, or give you options to help yourself. Everything else is fine. Right. Mm-hmm. It's uh. And that's it. It's crazy. That's that's and that's that's it. That's pretty fucked up that there's a company out there doing that, and I'm, I'm sure there are many more who are doing the same thing, right? Yeah. There has to be. But I'm glad we've, we're talking about unions right now mm-hmm. because there's a very important uh, union issue going on that I want to bring up. Uh, I talked about esports earlier. So right now there is a big movement for esports and their players to be able to unionize together um, and you know have all the benefits that unions such as the 
uh, baseball, NFL, NBA, that they all have. Uh, from the idea of players associations, as they're called in uh, sports. So right now, uh, a couple a couple months back, there was a small push for Super Smash Brothers players to start a union, which is actually very interesting because Super Smash Brothers are still technically a grassroots community, um, even though there is some big money involved. It's not as big as other esports, so that's really it's interesting that um, they're so forward thinking as to they want to have unions. But the big ones right now, the big hitters are Overwatch, Counter Strike. Global Offensive, and League of Legends. Um, Overwatch and Counter-Strike both have a couple of vocal, singular people who are trying to get people to sign up for a union or at least a players association uh, conglomerate idea and push the idea forward and get it done. Because these these esports players, even though a lot of people would look at how they get paid and how they get compensated and think you know they already have it good enough, they still need ways to bargain over these the guys who own the teams because these these team owners are either big companies or just these big rich esports uh, e moguls who are you know millionaires and they do need they want to have some power and a seat at the table to decide what's going to happen with their league and with their future and it's really cool to see that i mean because a lot of esports players are very young people and a lot of them aren't considered to be very politically savvy for whatever reason but it is cool to see that they're starting this up and one Example counterexample kind of is what's going on with League of Legends. Um, League of Legends, very popular game made by Riot Games, um, one of the biggest competitive scenes in the world, and the North American um, LCS or League Championship Series got a players association this past year during the off season. They got a players association, players joined, team owners were okay with it, they signed off and everything, and it was all good. But the only problem with Riot's system right now is. It is, I mean, the whole Players Association is still funded by Riot. And I don't, I've played League of Legends for years, I've followed it. I don't know how good of a company Riot is when it comes to giving their players voices. They did allow the players to vote for their own um, lawyer to be part of their team, the judge, and all that kind of stuff. He's a very famous sports lawyer who is now part of their Players Association. And it's cool. But I do think that eventually, and the Riot has even said this, they said that eventually they want the Players Association to be self-funded and ran by the players so that um, it'll seem more um, objective on their part and not have us, all their stains on it. Yeah, I've, I've heard things about how having the owners involved in the Players Associations in the past has not worked out very well. Yeah, especially I read a little bit about how the beginnings of the MLB Major League Baseball, their player union was a little bit rocky at first, the first little bit because the owners were involved and they were able to uh, basically gerrymander the election for their uh, uh, executive board lead who's going to actually get the seat, who was you know, kind of a plant that they all had in mind anyway. And it took a while for it to actually get to be player run. And, of course, that's probably going to happen with eSports too. I don't see why it wouldn't. Um, but I will say this, on, on, on the point about whether or not Riot is going to be fair to the players or anything, I will say this. Um, last year, there was a big, huge, egregious thing that happened where this team in Australia uh, called Tainted Minds, which, by the way, bad name for a team. Mm -hmm. Tainted Minds? Already sounds bad. They were able to, they had a good amount of funding, so they were able to get five players from North America who were pretty good but weren't um, actually in the league yet to go to move to Australia, be players there, and start up in, start up that league and everything. 
and they did it. I mean, all the players were 17, 18 years old, moved from America to Australia, a place they'd never been, and decided to do this. And they put the players in a shitty house that had no air conditioning, no heat, no hot water. Um, the, the bedrooms had bugs and were infested, and the house was basically falling apart. The person who contacted them and got them on the team got fired as soon as they got there, and they had no contact with the, owner, with the um, ownership at all. Um, they didn't even have internet for about a month, so they couldn't even practice, but were still expected to be able to win games and stuff. And it was egregious. I mean, they, they, they really treated these players really, really badly. And they all quit as soon as their contracts were up and came back to America because they were just, they were really tired of it. And that all sounds bad. And of course, a Riot has to get on this kind of stuff and do a competitive ruling and give out a punishment. The punishment, by most fans and analysts' opinions, should have been that Tainted Minds can't compete in League of Legends anymore and has a disband. That would be a fair competitive ruling for how badly they treated these people. Instead, they were they only racked up about fifteen thousand dollars in fifteen thousand dollars of in Australian currency in fines, and that was it. And they're still allowed to operate, and they still have they can still have League of Legends teams and everything. And don't these teams usually like have millions of dollars in revenue or not revenue, but like isn't like it's a, it's a, it's a multi million dollar operation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, getting funding maybe in Australia that since the league is new, there wouldn't be quite those millions yet there's still but there if you're starting up a league you still have a quite you have a substantial amount of capital so a fifteen thousand dollar fine would wouldn't really hurt them at all yeah just a slap on the wrist basically or not even that exactly no that's and that's the exact word the the league community used whenever this happened was slap on the wrist jesus christ so they they bring these guys um, in and they put them in shitty housing with no ability to actually do the work they want them to do and don't talk yes. to them, and they're and and they all quit when they're able to, and their fucking punishment is a slap on the wrist. Yeah. So, um, Riot may not be the best judge of, you know, how players should be treated. So I do hope that in the coming years the players do end up uh, self-funding and self-running their own players' association. But for now, at least they have something, which is better than what they had before. Yeah, that's that's a shitty story right there, though. That uh, that sucks. Yeah. I hope, though, that, like so, you said, that it does get better, though. Yeah. We love unions on this podcast, and we want more of them. Oh, yeah. So, everyone unionize. Well, interestingly enough, if you've seen what's happening yet, right now, or at least I think about it, I've ended, the Game Developer Conference was happening this, this past week. Do you, did you see what was going on there? Right before we started this episode, I pull, I had the headline pulled up. I didn't have time to read it, obviously, because we were recording, um, but I did see a headline about it. Well, I don't have the full story, but apparently there is a, 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 a association of developers who are trying to unionize. Yes, as they should. And it's really interesting because, I mean, you know this too, because you work in, t- in tech right now, sort of, right? Um, yeah. Tech people have been historically very difficult to get on the union train yes that is actually very true and i don't know quite what the reason is but it is actually very true i think it's because tech is in my opinion i could be wrong with this who knows i'm, I'm just some idiot from georgia uh that tech is one of the newer industrial fields in america that we have um mm-hmm. and it's it comes at a t- it came into existence at a time when unions were, had already had their backs broken by capital, so there's just like no chance that this new industry would have any kind of union representation at all. Yeah, and I think most I think a lot of also and this is not uh, to to besmirch all tech workers, but I think there's kind of a strong uh, libertarian bent in a lot of tech work. Uh, 
there actually there actually really is. You'd be surprised how many libertarians you meet in tech. And I think it all comes from this idea that the you know the internet will free us and that tech can can solve our problems. And I think it's a misguided belief, but it has led to a rise of libertarians who are definitely not union people. Yeah, there's a strong like individualistic uh, belief in tech. So I'm curious to see if these if these game developers will manage to unionize because I think it'll be great. You know, because I I play a lot of video games and I read about them a lot too. And I constantly see horror stories about the development process and what these, like, programmers go through to make this shit. Yeah, I mean, it's not easy. Like, game development is not much... I mean, as far as the workload, it's not much different from software development. And, yeah, I mean, those are two very demanding jobs that are very tough. And, yeah, the workload isn't easy and timeframes aren't easy. So workers do workers do deserve a lot more compensation than they get, and it, I really think it would be wise for any kind of developers or tech workers to unionize together because, yeah, it's, I don't know. I've, I've been in, like, meetings with, like, management before and how they, like, kind of talk about software developers, and it's, uh, it's not pretty. So I would, li- I would like to see some reform in that industry. And also, uh, game development is probably the most low-paid uh, kind of programming work, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, of course, I mean, with all work, it just depends where you work for and how you're doing. Because, like, you know, games and software both range from startups where you're not getting paid very much um, to, you know, companies like EA or Microsoft where you'll get paid quite a bit. Um so yeah, but but game development, especially like since there's like this flood of like the mobile game market, the online game market, just to like trying to make a quick buck, uh, game developers are expected to work very quickly and for not a lot of money. Yeah, I remember we have a, a an uncle uh, who worked for um, what was it? Was it EA? It was EA. Yeah, he right? worked for EA, and he took. No, we went there. Are you were you there too? Yeah, we we were there together. <laughs> We both went. There. I should remember this. Remember when he took us to like the break room area that had like cots for him to sleep on during crunch yeah. time? And I was like, oh, that's weird. Because uh, I was a kid when this happened, but now I'm like, oh, that's fucked up. Yeah, there's some people. I know. I have a I have a coworker right now. She used to work at a software development company in India. She's from India, and she said that there were some days where her shift was she would work. She worked late shift, so she would start at 9 p.m. and then get off at 6 a.m., go home, take a shower eat a meal and then she had to go right back to work and work like another eight to set eight to ten hour shift jesus fucking christ um so yeah it's uh it's not a it's not i don't know there's a lot of luxuries to it like we talked about last week you know you can provide your work workers with you know meals and ping pong tables and haircuts and all this like all these luxuries because it's honestly cheaper than paying them what they deserve and letting them have the rights that they deserve yeah which, um, again, if this like we're going back to that fucking Menards thing, talking about you know your right to self determination and your freedom, you know taxes limit freedom. Uh, so do low wages. Yeah, of course. If you pay people very little, they have less freedom in life. So yeah. uh, fucking uh, checkmate uh, by your own logic, motherfucker. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, and fuck Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, fuck Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. Dude, he's going. I mean. People are talking about it like he's going to be dying in the streets pretty soon. He's still going to be rich his whole life, 
But I'm glad that Facebook is taking a hit and he's having to feel some of the repercussions of his actions. Yeah, it's it, it. He lost like a couple of billion dollars, which I mean, he has way more billions of dollars left. So, fuck him. Yeah, I don't give a shit. And yeah, people are talking about how Facebook is gonna like really suffer because this Cambridge Analytical stuff. And I'm like, they're not. I don't know. I think. I mean, I do think that in a couple of years people won't be using Facebook anymore. I mean, I can I hope. Think that, I think people are going to delete it. I'm probably going to delete mine pretty soon. I don't, know, I don't really don't know why I keep it, considering how much I hate Mark Zuckerberg. And also, I've, I haven't used um, mine in like a year now. Yeah, I don't use it very often. The only thing that it's ever really useful for is to get messages every once in a while from people who might like might not have your number or your email. But even then, it's like, do I? I don't really need that message. It's true. They'll find a way to get it to if it's important enough. They'll find a way to get it to That's me. That's true. So yeah, I'm 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 done with it pretty soon. Oh oh, but wait a minute. You, didn't you hear about political hero Elon Musk oh, fuck and what Christ. he did? No, what happened? Oh, you didn't hear this? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's been a big movement to delete your Facebook account because they're, you know, leaking data and doing unfair stuff with your data, which is true. And in response to that, Elon Musk, hero of the people, decided to delete the Facebook accounts for both SpaceX and Tesla. Oh, I didn't see this. This was some dumb shit. Hero. Icon, legend of space travel, Elon Musk, is finally here to help the people by deleting his Facebook accounts. Fuck Elon. Fuck that. That's just that's just useless and pointless pandering. They're so big that Facebook can prov- that doesn't provide shit for them anymore. Yeah, exactly. It's like, the people who care about SpaceX and Tesla are going to care about SpaceX and Tesla for the rest of their life, and they're not going to need Facebook to tell them about it. Yeah, fucking call me back when they fucking delete everything and disband, yeah. or... Give the money to the people. Jump off a bridge. Yeah, that'd be good too. Um, so I want to talk about real quick. This is in our in our last little bit here, our last segment. Uh, an article that I found uh, on Vice, um, again from 2016, because apparently 2016 had a lot of overlooked good uh, uh, stuff going on. Yeah, shout out to 2016. Yeah, shout out to 2016, the year the world uh, broke. <laughs> the year the world finally ended. Well, it's like it's like the, the, now we're learning that the world didn't end in 2016 or didn't break in 2016. We're just now learning that it was all always broken. Yeah. I mean, we're too dumb to, to know. Um, so this article is called What Happens When Millennials Grow Up? It's by uh, Hannah Ewens. Um, and it originally appeared on Vice UK, which is probably why I didn't see it back then. Not that I read Vice obsessively or anything. Shout out to Waypoint. Waypoint's a good website about video games. They're, they're pretty cool. Uh, yeah, shout out to video games, by the way. Shout out to video I love games. Playing them. Shout out to the, I love video shout games. Out to the, the binary system of uh, uh, of programming and stuff. Really good work there. Yeah. Oh, shout, shout out to math, by the way. We, get, we gotta have math to make stuff run. So shout out, shout out to math. Shout please. out to uh, Homo habilis, the, the first <laughs> rational uh, human like being. Good job there. Oh, and then shout out to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. <laughs> <laughs> I want to give a shout out to Yahweh, the original name uh, of uh, the creator of the universe and the master of all that is. Um. <laughs> oh, shout out to He-Man, master of the oh, universe. Oh, fucking Christ. <laughs> Gotta love He-Man. Shout out to Thanos, ready to see your new movie in, uh, in May or April now. Can't uh, wait, dude. Shout out to moving past this shout out segment. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this article uh, starts off with a pretty good, a pretty good lead. Uh we share apartments with people we don't know or with our parents, live hand-to-mouth and subscribe to a culture of anxiety. We struggle with self-esteem and live our social lives online. We know that what we should... We know what we should become... Wait, hold on. Fuck it. I fucked up. We know what we should be because we learned it from our parents, who got married when they were our age and had kids, a mortgage and a hatchback a few years later. But us... 
we're fully grown adults living in a state of suspended childhood. So what happens in 20 years when we're all nearly middle-aged? What happens when millennials grow up? What image immediately comes to mind? A single 43-year-old burdened with mental health issues, living in a shoebox apartment that costs $2,500 a month, scrolling obsessively through Tinder, and tweeting about the latest palace drop to an audience of desperately lonely peers. But really, it's uncharted territory. No one really knows. Of the tens of academics and scientists and economists I emailed, most didn't want to um, hypothesize. Although, in many ways, this unsavory tableau probably isn't far off the mark. Yes. So that's, yeah, that is a pretty good image of what life is like for us now and what it will probably be like in 20 years. And the article actually does a good job yeah. of going into why that will be. Um we're broke now, and we're likely to be living hand-to-mouth in later life, too. Ryan Bourne, no relation, head of public policy at the Institute of Economic Affairs, says that our generation will go into our 40s with far less accumulated wealth and be much poorer than we should be. Quote, this lack of wealth is partly because millennials won't own housing, but partly because they'll have to have always paid so much for rent that it's quite difficult to save anything to even build up to a pension or savings and investment. That is a big problem. Quote, Generational expert Jason Dorsey agrees. Quote, We're expecting to have people in their 30s and 40s still relying heavily on their parents, 30-somethings who still live at home, and 40-somethings whose parents still pay for their cell phone bill. That phenomenon is putting pressure on the older generation. Unless income increases dramatically, we'll be in trouble. Quote. Yeah, I mean, this this article, uh, I, read it, I read it too. It hits a lot of the nail on the head, to be honest. I love this it's, whole... Uh, yeah, you go ahead. I said I love this whole... Unless income income increases dramatically, yeah, no fucking shit. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, once again, you can go through any economical study, any statistical analysis. We make a lot less than our than the generations before us, and we don't have a lot of the freedoms that they had. And we get raked over the coals for everything that we try to pay for, anything we try to do. You know, oh, you graduated college, and oh, you actually got this kind of cool job somewhere different, somewhere else. You got to go there, and you got to be fucked over to pay for rent, electricity, water, internet, and all the things that are essential. And not only that, but you're getting, you just get fucked on everything you try and buy and purchase. And we just don't have, we just don't have that ability anymore. And it's, yeah, unless something drastically changes, that's just how it's going to be. Um, yeah, it goes on to say, uh, quote. The problem, all right, sorry, sorry. Uh, will we ever catch up to our parents' standards of living and accumulated wealth? According to the economists I spoke to, probably not. Quote, the problem is we'll still chase many of the same things that other generations want, but it's more out of reach, quote, explains Dorsey. Quote, as our cohort enters their mid to late 30s, it'll be an interesting time to see if millennials achieve this idea of adulthood. Quote, vice readers' number one fear is not finding love, which suggests we're not completely put off by the idea of marriage. And our anger at the housing crisis shows, somewhat unsurprisingly, that we still value having a secure place to live. As we wait for these traditional markers of adulthood going into our 30s, said Dorsey, and others have spoke to, we're likely to continue to be frustrated and unhappy. At this age, because we're not able to afford kids, we're looking to have them in our late 30s and early 40s. Quote, having kids in your late 30s is more difficult and higher risk, and we believe there is going to be a, a lot of pressure around that time to get married and have kids. Quote, says Dorsey. Quote, it's a perfect storm. The mood will be, if you're going to do it, you have to do it now. And for obvious reasons, that is going to be more difficult and more challenging. It's going to create a different kind of conversation. You may end up with people having fewer kids overall, because if they start later, maybe they can only have fewer. Quote. Yeah, I mean, at this point, a lot of my, a lot, me and a lot of my friends, we have abandoned the idea of kids. 
We're like, kids are, first of all, who needs them? Second of all, who's going to pay for them? And that's basically the whole uh, whole argument, from my opinion, well, is we don't have the money anymore. If you want to know who needs kids, this goes on to explain. The psychological burden of that will lay with women, some of whom will find they can't have children, but will be felt throughout society. As Dr. Amy Collar, professor of social structure at the University of Alberta, told Vice, if women stopped having children, quote, we'd first notice the collapse of economic activity that requires young children and uh, parents, stores for babies, nannies, daycares. Then an upward ripple in elementary schools, kids sports. We'd also become completely dependent on immigration and continue to exist as a country. We had to see more efforts to, to attract immigrants, young immigrants, to bring people in. Quote. That is, in my opinion, very fucking important to what's going on because um, I, I'm not anti-immigrant. You will never hear me say a bad thing about immigrants or hardworking people that we need to have around, as this article explains. But that is going to feed into some very troubling ideas to the right wing, isn't it? Yeah, of course. I saw an article, uh, not an article, a, a meme today from some right winger about cultural Marxism, which says that mm-hmm. this is a big tenet of having to bring in uh, immigrants to replace a population that's, that's that uh, because it's convinced you that you can't have kids. They're not convincing people they can't have kids. We know economically we can't have kids. No one's telling us this. We're responding to the pressures of our environment, which are not brought on by some left wing cabal. It's fucking right wing economic politics that are doing this to us. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty obvious. Like, if, if right now someone were to say, hey, Seth, you have a kid now, I'd be like, well, that me and this kid are both dead. <laughs> there is there is nothing that's going to save us at this point. Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't want children. I have no plans for children. I don't want them in my life. But reading this, I have to wonder how much of that is a natural aversion to it and how much of it is born out of the economic knowledge that I would never be able to even support it. Oh, yeah, mine is... My belief is, one, first of all, economics. Never going to happen. Two, I don't know. I don't, I just want to, I don't want to chill for the rest of my life. Well, it's like, yeah. You know, if I, if somebody gave me a kid and they were already like 20 years old, I'd be like, okay, cool, I'm at the easy part. Good. It's, but. It's literally yeah. arrested development is what it is. It's arrested development. We're, yeah. we're stuck this way. Ron Howard will narrate your life if you have a kid. Dude, for sure. Um, so it goes on to talk about how, uh, women are wanting to bear most of the problems with this. Um, they're going to really be the ones who are pressured to, uh, to have children, despite the fact that it's even less economically possible for them because the way our patriarchal society works is that if the man decides to leave, it's the woman's responsibility to take care of the kid. Um, so that's, that's fucking, that's just, that sucks for them a lot. Yeah. Uh, and also they're expected to be the main carers for their, their family members, like old like their parents are gonna be have to be the ones that are uh taking be taken care of by women, so that's also a big burden for them. Um and it goes on to talk about our mental health issues, the anxieties we feel. I, this is not something that I, I think I personally struggle with, so I don't have much to say about mental mental health. I feel like I'm pretty mentally healthy. Uh you, you feel you feel that way too? See, I always, I'm always like, yeah, I don't think I'm, I don't think I have any mental problems. But like, what if I do? You know? Yeah. How would what you? If I, what if I'm in denial of them? You know? I mean, I'm not a doctor. How would I fucking know if I have mental issues? Exactly. I've never, I've never talked to a psychiatrist or a therapist my whole life. Can't afford one. For all I know, yeah, exactly. For all I know, there's some real fucked up shit in my head, but I, I don't know about it. Yeah. So for now, I think I'm mentally healthy, but you know, ask me in a couple of years, we'll see. So then it goes on to say, um, at least in our miserable middle age, you can look forward to long retirement, right? 
Not exactly. We'll work longer than any generation yet, partially because we'll be supporting the children we had late in life until much later. An issue compounded by the fact that the government is hell-bent on us working right up until the brink of death. Quote, The state pension age is going to have to rise dramatically for us because of an aging population, explains Bourne. The, the government essentially introduced this triple-lock mechanism that makes the state pension even more generous. And that makes no sense when you've got an aging population. Something's got to give on that. And the most obvious thing to do would be to raise the state's pension age very substantially. Quote, Already retirement ages are on the scheduled are scheduled to rise to 66 in October of 2020 in the UK, and under general under current government proposal 67 between 2026 and 2028, and 68 between 2044 and 2046. We don't know how much higher those could go. That's insane. Working until you're fucking 68 years old. What the fuck is the life expectancy of a human being at this, at this point? Here's what I'm going to say. This, I'm glad you brought that up. Counterpoint. They said that the only logical thing to do is to raise pension age. I got another logical explanation. Put a legal maximum on age. <laughs> Logan's run, baby! At the age of 80, 70, you're killed. Jesus Christ. Your 70th birthday, you're dead. Okay, that's way more generous Logan's run was. What was Logan's 30. run? 30. Oh, yeah, 30. Well, no. Well, you know what? Ideally, 30. I'd say. I'd say that's the ideal society, but I think because because of our puritanical upbringings, we'll probably have to stick it to like 70 or 80, but yeah. I'm, al- Boom, I'm always torn dead. between how long were humans supposed to live in the natural world, which would be like, what, 40, maybe? Um, yeah. And fuck the natural world. We are God. We can do anything. Exactly. Uh, I, think the, I think the advances in modern medicine are actually a bad thing. Yes. I think we should go back. And not have the stuff we do now because people are living too long. It's just unfair. And the thing is, the people that are living too long are the ones who already had it good and could retire and get to retire. Yeah. You know? So they're, you know, I'm sorry. I got, there's old people. I know old people. We have a grandpa. It, I'm sorry, but it's, something's got to give. Because, I mean, in the end, I think what's going to have to give is socialism versus capitalism. But for now, we got to put something else in place. Well, you'll be interested to know this is the next section here. Uh, this all sounds very doom and gloom, but conveniently we as a generation don't exist in a bubble. We can't be ignored, and these issues, housing, lack of savings, mental health, and so on, left to fester. Eventually the knock-on effects will become a burden, and our social and financial issues will have to take priority. Quote, The contemplation of what's going to happen if we don't fix all these problems is almost too awful to think about, quote, says Rachel Lawrence from the think tank New Economics Foundation. Quote, I think if we don't fix most of them, there will be a major economic crash and a a massive depression. But I hope that with the huge number of people moving into the second and third phases of adulthood with these situations, this is a tipping point, quote. Yes, I think that's that's where we are in the world right now. We are at a tipping point, a boiling point, a... Razor's Edge, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I don't want to be an accelerationist about this and think that we need to continue the the course until this huge crash happens and maybe change will come. Because in the past, it's happened, but change has always been kind of, like, derailed. Like, like you look at what happened with the New Deal when the, they, they made some concessions to, to, uh, for, to, to capital and capital clawed back all that power and more in the preceding decades. Um... It maybe changed, or you look at like the Soviet Union, where uh, there was workers' revolution and it was all good until Stalin took over and it became this horrific, horrifically brutal uh, uh, society that you know people were just you know sacrificed to make to for a greater good, which we're not really sure if it was actually 
good. So I don't want us to have to do a collapse to get better stuff, you know? It'd be nice if we didn't have to do yeah. that. Uh, but yeah, it goes on to talk about what is adulthood now. They're saying that now adulthood will probably be when you hit 40, which, Jesus Christ, at this point, it seems kind of accurate. I mean, yeah, we're not even close to adults at our age yet, like in terms of what our parents yeah, were we'll like. we'll be kids forever. But we probably will be, you know? And that's leading us to that fucking Wally uh, world, you know? Like, fat slobs sitting in chairs while robots do all of our work. I mean, maybe, maybe probably won't be robots, though. We'll probably just be fat, infantile children living in the burned-out ruins of our civilization. Yeah. and then we just die. Yeah. So that's it. That's, on that very hopeful note, <laughs> we're done for this week. Yes, we're done. <laughs> I want to say thank you to our future... Uh, intro song maker uh, Ben he's been on the podcast before he's going to make us an intro song and, it's, and you're finally going to have to stop hearing us say the same shit over and over our logo was made by the elusive Marcus Barkley uh, don't be taller than him mm-hmm. uh, I'm on Twitter at Life of Seth you can find me on Twitter at uh, MC Surf S-E-R-F yeah. if you like the podcast share it around tweet it out uh, put it on Reddit put it on Tumblr put it on Dig, I don't know if that's still a thing. Just put it out there. Dude, if StumbleUpon is still a thing, Dig's got to still be a thing, right? Yeah. What about Fark? Let, you think Fark's still around? Let someone stumble upon our podcast. Yes, that probably still exists. Didn't Fark get replaced by Reddit, basically? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, put us on Reddit. Fuck it. We'll go on Reddit. We don't give a shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm... But yeah, it's been good. I'm uh, oh, a yeah. good, good podcast, dude. Yep. From the Alenios Podcast, as always... Fuck the New England Patriots, and have a good weekend. Also, you can't get horses to go underwater. Can't get horses underwater. Later. Bye.